have one there. You may, uh, for your own, there are some located in the chair racks there in front of you. And in our church Bible, it's page 113. Page 113 in our church Bible, Exodus chapter 18. A little bit for you here for uh, what takes place here in Exodus 18. Moses has just led the children of Israel out of Egypt. We're done with all the, the plagues and the let my people go and all that with Pharaoh and he let them go. And uh, they crossed the Red Sea on dry ground. Pharaoh's chariots and his, his army behind them drowned in the same spot uh, after the waters closed in on them. They're now in the Sinai Peninsula headed up to the Promised Land. And at this point, they don't quite know how long that journey is going to take. Uh, they haven't quite gotten to the place where all the murmuring's happening yet and, and God's going to make them wander in the wilderness for 40 years. But here we find Moses <clears throat> not quite celebrating. He's burdened with the reality of leading such an enormous group of people. Hundreds of thousands, some believe as many perhaps as two million people. And Moses is their leader. And Moses' father-in-law comes to visit him. And uh, we pick up the story there. Chapter 18, verse 13. Chapter 18, verse 13. Moses' father-in-law, his name is Jethro. And it came to pass on the morrow, verse 13, that Moses sat to judge the people. And the people stood by Moses from the morning unto the evening. And when Moses' father-in-law saw all that he did to the people, he said, what is this thing that thou hast doest to the people? Why sittest thou thyself alone, and all the people stand by thee from morning until even? And Moses said unto his father-in-law, Because the people come unto me to inquire of God. Verse 16, When they have a matter, they come unto me, and I judge between one and another, and I do make them know the statutes of God and his laws. And Moses' father-in-law said unto him, The thing that thou doest is not good. So here's Moses counseling God's people according to what God wants for them, according to God's statutes, according to what God has revealed to Moses. And his father-in-law says, this, Something's not right here. This isn't good. He goes on to in verse 18, and he says, Thou wilt surely wear away. You're going to get worn out, Moses, both thou and this people that is with thee, for this thing is too heavy for thee. Thou art not able to perform it thyself alone. Hearken now unto my voice. I will give thee counsel, and God shall be with thee. Be, the, uh, be thou for the people to Godward, that thou mayest bring the causes unto God. And thou shalt teach them ordinances and laws, and shalt show them the way wherein they must walk, and the work that they must do. Moreover, thou shalt provide out of the people able men, such as fear God, men of truth, hating covetousness, and place such over them to be rulers of thousands and rulers over hundreds, rulers of fifties and rulers of tens. And let them judge the people at all seasons. 
And it shall be that every great matter they shall bring unto thee, but every small matter they shall judge. So shall it be easier for thyself, and they shall bear the burden with thee. So Moses' wise father-in-law, Jethro, tells him, Moses, what you're doing isn't working. You're going to wear out. You're gonna, they're going to get worn out waiting for you. You need some help. And this is kind of a pattern for government, by the way. Governments uh, around the world have looked at this example and said, well, you know what? That's what we need to do. We need to have people over thousands and over hundreds and over fifties, and, and it's even down here over tens. So Moses, get you some help, but don't just get you help. And, and it, he tells them the type of people to get. But he says in verse 20, and thou shalt teach them ordinances and laws. And you know, Moses was obviously anointed by God for special purposes in the Old Testament. God used him greatly, but he couldn't do it all himself. But God, his, his father-in-law is telling him that he needs to teach others. And that's kind of what teaching is all about. What we do as teachers and what we do in education is we're, it's involved with creating literally the next generation, uh, the next generation of citizens, the next generation of teachers, the next generation of missionaries, the next generation of pastors. So teaching involves replacing yourself, literally, and, and passing that on to others. I know in the years that I've ministered, I have no greater joy than to see people that I've taught, people that I've coached, uh, young men that, that I've counseled with go on and serve the Lord. And, and I know of at least a dozen young men that are in, that are in full-time ministry that have been in, in schools that I've administered. And it, it just warms my soul. It gives me a warm fuzzy right here, you know. Um, but that's what our job is, to teach. At Land O'Lakes Christian School, that's what we do. We teach. At First Baptist Church, that's what we do. We teach. Moses, when uh, God gave him the Ten Commandments, the Lord said unto him in Exodus 24, Come up to me into the mount and be there, and I will give thee tables of stone and a law and commandments, which I have written, that thou mayest teach them. So God, all along through Scripture, is telling us to teach. In fact, in Scripture, do you know the word teach and teaching actually shows up more often than the word preach and preaching? So God wants us to teach. There's an importance on teaching. Uh, I did find a couple of interesting quotes about teachers. I think some of these are from teachers. Uh, Darwin Martin said that a teacher's job is to take a bunch of live wires and see that they are well-grounded. Uh, Nicholas Ferroni says, teachers are the only people who lose sleep over other people's kids. Uh, I thought this was interesting. Rick Smith says, being a new teacher is like trying to fly an airplane while building it. Dan Meyer says, I teach high school math. I sell a product to a market that doesn't want it, but is forced by law to buy it. And this quote is unknown, but good teachers are the ones who can challenge young minds without losing their own. But that's what we do. We teach. And we teach with our words in a classroom. Parents, you teach 
with your daily lives and your example. Big brothers and big sisters, you teach your younger siblings things. Uh, pastors and Sunday school teachers, you're teaching the Word of God, but we're all teaching in some way. Uh, we teach a lot about our character with how we respond to others, how we treat others. Um, we teach by the example that we set. Second Timothy 2.2, 2, uh, Paul tells young Timothy, a, a new preacher, he says, the things that thou hast heard of me among many witnesses, the same commit thou to faithful men who shall be able to teach others also. So Paul says, Timothy, I'm teaching you. I want you to commit that to other men. Why? So they can teach others also. Our job in teaching is to reproduce ourselves. So where do we teach? Where do we teach? Well, there are institutions that are ordained by God. The first institution ordained by God is the home, the family. Uh, then secondly, the church. God ordained the church. Of course, God ordained human government also, but as far as teaching, God never commanded human government to be in education, by the way. That's never, that you don't find that in Scripture. Okay. Um, Matthew chapter 28, in the Great Commission, Jesus says, Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the, earth, the world. And then we have the school. Now the school, you don't see that really clearly delineated in, in Scripture, but the school is an extension of the family. In fact, if you're a parent and you drop your child off at Land Lakes Christian School or any school, uh, that school is considered in loco parentis while they are there. That means, parents, you have given us your child, and in the absence of you showing up, we're acting as parents until you get your child again. In fact, that's, that's in, in federal and state laws. Uh, so we act as an extension of the family, and then we act as an extension of the church. Also, we're a ministry of the church. So whereas the, the instructions God gives to parents to train up their children, and the instructions that God gives to the church to uh, bring up church, uh, children, the nurture and admonition of the Lord, to teach and to preach and, and to share the gospel with them, our Christian school is an extension of those things. I'd like to look back just a little bit. There's been years where I've gone into depth. I don't want to go into a lot of depth, but I want to look a little bit at the history of education in America. And uh, truth be told, our founding fathers in the beginning of American education looks a whole lot more like our Christian schools today than it does our government, public schools. Um, in fact, if you look at the universities in America, almost all of them, back in the 1600s, 1700s, even in the 1800s, began to produce ministers of the gospel. The themes for Harvard in the 1700s were for Christ and the church, for the glory of Jesus Christ. I don't think you'd see that in Harvard's themes nowadays. Uh, Yale, above all, Great end, the greatest end of your studies is to know Jesus Christ and the Scriptures. Princeton, another Ivy League school, uh, had chapel and a church attendance required. Of 
course, they were founded by the great preacher John Witherspoon. In 1647 was the first kind of law telling communities to have, have schools. And it was, it was called the Code of 1650. It became known as the Old Deluder Satan Law. Basically, we want to keep Satan away from our kids. So when uh, the law in the New England states, the beginning colonies, I'm sorry, not states yet, but if you had a community with 50 uh, families, you had to start a school. And so that school uh, served primarily, now it taught other things, but primarily they wanted to make sure they had a school so that the citizenry could read and understand the Bible. In 1690 to 1930, 240 years, the schools in America used a little book called the New England Primer. And uh, that book, throughout it, it was an early reader designed like for first grade students. Throughout that book, there are Bible references, even A, B, C, D, you know, the, the, each one of the letters of the alphabet had Bible phrases to help remember those letters. There were questions in, in that book, and the questions, they were in there, for again, for first graders, they had questions about the Ten Commandments, about Jesus, about justification, sanctification, adoption, all these Bible themes in their first grade reading book for 240 years in America, till about 1930 when some guy called John Dewey came around, okay, with progressive education. Um, now, in, 18, in the 1860s, right before the Civil War, 95% of all universities in America were still run by ministers. 262 out of 288 college presidents were pastors. And then up through 1890, 90% of all universities, even public universities, still had regular chapel services. So that's kind of where we came from. Uh, now, let me offer a, a, a common disclaimer here, okay? Um, we talk about uh, <clears throat> school choice, and there's a lot going on with school choice now. Uh, what's interesting about school choice is there are your regular public schools. They, they sometimes refer to them as community schools now because they, uh, there's this school here in this community. But now the public school also have charter schools and magnet schools and then... There's other private schools, and there's Christian schools. There's a lot of different types of schools out there, and there's homeschooling, of course. Uh, but there's a lot of different types of schools out there. Um, and I am going to say some negative things about the public schools. I'd probably refer to them better as government schools because they're teaching what the government tells them to do. They're not as public as they used to be because of all the school choice that's out there. Um, but I do want to offer a disclaimer about public schools. There are a lot of good Christian people that teach in the public schools. And honestly, uh, one, of the, one of the persons that had the greatest impact on my life was a teacher in a public school. And uh, just, uh, I'm not a fan of sending our Christian children into the public school because of so much of what they teach now. Um, and if you're a Christian teacher, we'd much rather have you here at our Christian school. But if you're teaching in a public school and you're living out your faith and you're sharing, your go sharing the gospel with others the best that you can within the system you have, and if you're faithfully ministering to people, 
there's no shame in that, and I don't want to bring or or you know say anything shameful about that this morning. So please recognize that. I like to share our mission statement with with everyone occasionally, just so uh, we're reminded that it is the the home, the church, and then the school uh, to assist parents. Our mission statement says so. There we're assisting parents and their God-given responsibility for what? To educate their children. Parents, it's your responsibility to educate your child. Uh, and we want to educate them in two, two main ways, through godly character and academic excellence. And then we partner with the church. So there's the church part of it. And the main, the biblical man, with their biblical mandate to evangelize the world, edify the body of Christ, and equip Christians for service. And that's the job of the church. So as a Christian school, we want to help our parents uh, in their God-given responsibility to educate their children. And we also want to help the church in their responsibility to evangelize and edify. So that's, that's uh, the illustration we see sometimes is that three-legged stool. Uh, I've, I've heard another one, a three-stranded rope. You know how you, get, you have a rope and you wrap those strands around each other, three of them, and it's much stronger? I don't like that illustration quite as well because when you take one out, it's still kind of strong with just two strands. But that stool, you know, you got one leg here, another leg here, and another leg here, and you got that stool sitting on top. If you got the home, the church, and the school, and that there's, there's a, a seat on top of that, if you take one of those out, that stool isn't just not quite as strong, it falls over. So I personally like that illustration a little bit better. But that's our goal. We want the home the church, and the school, working together to train up children in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. Okay, so that's where we teach. We teach at home, we teach at church, we teach at school, but when do we teach? When do we teach? Okay, parents, Deuteronomy 6.6 6 is for you. And these words which I command thee this day shall be in thine heart, and thou shalt teach them diligently unto thy children and shalt talk of them when thou sittest. Well, it doesn't just say teach them diligently, but God tells us when. Shall talk of them when thou sittest in thine house, when thou walkest by the way, and when thou liest down, and when thou risest up. Sounds like most all the time we should be teaching our children. Take those opportunities when you're, uh, when you're getting ready for something, when you're on your way for something, when you're sitting down for dinner, when you're, uh, whatever you're doing as a family, Use, that, use those opportunities to teach your children. Uh, grandparents, you're not off the hook here. I got one for you. Deuteronomy 4.9. Deuteronomy 4.9. Only take heed to yourself and keep thy soul diligently, lest thou forget the things which thine eyes have seen, and lest they depart from thy heart all the days of thy life. But teach them thy sons and thy sons' sons, that they may teach their children. So grandparents, you're teaching your children and you, because you want them to teach their children, but you're also teaching your grandchildren. Why? So they can teach their children. So we're reproducing ourselves. We're teaching, we're teaching, we're constantly teaching. Um, I think of that as I have, uh, I have teen workers that work here at the church. Uh, we have a lot of young people. I think there's 12 to 14 of them that work here have part-time jobs. Uh, they vacuum the sanctuary. Uh, they clean restrooms. They mow the grass. 
Uh, right now, I've got some gentlemen that are changing from our adult Sunday school setup over to our classroom setup because we have open house uh, this afternoon, and that gets changed every week. And they strip and wax floors, and there's just so many jobs that need done around here. And I spend some time mentoring and teaching and showing them how to do things. And I see a couple of those guys out here that I used to do that with. And uh, I try to tell them that, look, you know, just, just be patient with me. Let me explain to you how to do this, because you will do it better if you listen. And I tell them that, look, old guys know how to do things because we either made mistakes when we were your age trying to do things, or we listened to the old guys that tried to tell us how to do things. And so you can learn it either way, there, but there's no shame in getting some training and some teaching, being told how to do something. Um, I do the same thing with my children. Um, and uh, Oh, by the way, for those of you that may be somewhat new here and, and don't know, um, we have one guy in the back there, Benji. He's, he's my youngest son. Some of you probably know him as my son. I don't know if Jamie was able to make it here today. Is she? I don't know she's having some health issues. Somebody's pointing. She's back in the back. Okay. All right. Um, so we don't just have two children. We actually have six children. All of them attended church here and graduated here. And uh, some of them live locally here, and some of them uh, live out of state. Some go to other churches. But... Uh, uh, I did the same thing with them growing up. I'm kind of teaching them how to do things and training them how to do things. And, and I've even had some people ask, um, we prayed for your son so much, the one that was sick at home and, and recently, and uh, how's he doing? And if I haven't given an update in a while, I apologize because he's 21 years old. He just finished a vocational program. He's a certified welder, and he's back working in the sound booth every single service. So that's Benji back there. Okay, he's doing really well. Uh, so praise the Lord. Thank you all for praying for him. He had a very, very difficult, for those of you that don't know, he spent about two and a half years of his high school uh, years in bed. He's very, very ill. So we praise the Lord for his healing over the years. Okay. So we're always training. We're always teaching. We're always reproducing ourselves. In the church, obviously we have Sundays, we have Wednesdays, we have special meetings. Over and over in the gospel, Jesus says, teach. Over and over we see, and Jesus, quote, began to teach. In John 14, verse 26, says, but the Comforter, which is the Holy Ghost, whom the Father will send in my name, he shall teach you all things and bring all things to your remembrance. So Jesus gave us the example. Not only did he die on the cross to shed his blood to die for our sins, to pay for the penalty for our sins, but while he was here, he set the example of being a teacher. And the Holy Spirit, then, is our teacher. God placed a high importance on teaching. 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 2, talks about the qualifications of a pastor. Uh, it says that he must be blameless, the husband of one wife, vigilant, sober, of good behavior, given to hospitality, apt to teach. Uh, later in 2 Timothy... Paul's saying that the servant of the Lord must not strive, but be gentle unto all men and be apt to teach. So we teach. That's what we do here at our church, at our school. Hopefully you're doing that at your home also. But you know, in the school, in any school, children get dropped off in the morning and about seven hours later they get picked up. 
So that's 180-day school year. That's 1,260 hours a year. And if you multiply that out by K, you know, K-5 through 12th grade, that's 16,380 hours they're at school. Um, almost two full years of their life. Way more than the time they spend at church. It's important what they learn at school. The parent that says, oh, school doesn't matter that much. They get their spiritual training at church. It's, you know, it, there's way more hours there. In fact, if you take out sleep time and then times when you're not together as a family or you're not able to do that teaching time with parents in training, students oftentimes are at school even more than they're getting instruction at home. And so the school you have your children in and what they teach is so, so important. So that's when we teach. Let's talk about what we teach. What do we teach? So it doesn't matter who teaches or when we teach if we don't know what to teach. Psalm 119, verse 12, David said, Blessed art thou, our Lord, teach me thy statutes. The most important thing that we can teach is the commands of God. That's repeated nine more times in Psalm 119. Teach me thy statutes. During the Babylonian captivity, Ezekiel's talking to the, the, the Levites, uh, and he's telling them in Ezekiel 44, 23, that they shall teach my people, and I think this is very interesting, the difference between the holy and the profane, and cause them to discern between the unclean and the clean. The children of Israel were taken captive by the Babylonians. They were not godly people. They were in the midst of a wicked and perverse generation. And Ezekiel was, was training the Levites to teach their people very important thing here, the difference between the holy and the profane. Cause them to discern, to be able to figure out and discern the difference between the clean and the unclean. Boy, if there's any day and time in this world that we need that more, we need that now. Our children need to know the difference between the profane and uh, the holy, between the clean and the unclean. When America was looking towards westward expansion uh, in 17, um, 1787 to 89, somewhere in there, there was a document called the Northwest Ordinance, which basically they were telling, uh, they were telling those that people that were, that were going west uh, from the Ohio River Valley, it, is this is how we're going to start states from here on out. And... <clears throat> We needed three things to take place uh, in the educational process, and I'll read it. Being necessary for good government and the happiness of mankind, schools and the means of education shall forever be encouraged to teach religion, morality, and knowledge. So now a lot of schools teach number three. They teach the knowledge, but they're not teaching religion or morality. Oh, number two, the morality, they might touch on it a little bit, but it's, oh, whatever's right for you or whatever's acceptable in your people group. Um, but without the teaching of religion, of course, we would say the Bible, Scripture, uh, the other two are not, uh, are not as effective. 
Schools that teach only knowledge fail to recognize that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of, of knowledge. Okay? Um, Bob Talbert said this, teaching kids to count is fine, but teaching them what counts is best. It's interesting in this world, <clears throat> the Christians make up 33% roughly of the world population. But a, a recent research study I, I read said this, that life-changing or altering inventions, those inventions that meant something, that actually altered life or helped somebody, 90% of those were created by Christians. I think that's interesting because God gives us wisdom. Um, society now and unfortunately our government schools are teaching things like having sex before marriage is okay, even as teenagers. Abortion is just another form of birth control. Living together is fine. Gender is fluid. Use whatever bathroom you want. Alternate lifestyles and alternate family styles are okay. They're focused on keeping God out of schools and teaching our children that America is and always has been evil, promoting racial tension. In the, world's, in the words of uh, Vody Bachman, if you send your children to Caesar, don't be surprised when they come back Romans. We need to be careful what our children learn. 1962, 1963, the unprecedented cases of removing the Bible and, and prayer from public schools, we, scores have plummeted in all tests ever since then. Of course, our society's gone downhill. Uh, and, and, and make no mistake, the public school you know, we get accused, accused in Christian schools of indoctrinating children. Well, public schools do it too. Everybody who teaches indoctrin, indoctrinates. All education, for better or worse, is indoctrination. All education places doctrines in its students. So the question is, what doctrines do you want your children to learn? And who do you want teaching them? Our societies decided that the theory, the theory, the theory of evolution is fact. The Bible is outdated. They're, involved, they're too involved with social engineering. They disregard authority. They, the breakdown of the family is terrible. So you want to make sure you know who is teaching your children and what your ch children are learning. Turn over to another passage in 2 Timothy with me, please. 2 Timothy chapter 3. If you're using a church Bible, it's page 1670, 1670. 2 Timothy chapter 3. While you're turning there, um, in 1796, in George Washington's final address to the nation, uh, he, said something, he said something about this about education and, and our foundation, where it should come from. He said, whatever may be conceded to the influence of refined education on the minds of a peculiar structure, reason and experience both forbid us to expect that national morality can prevail in the exclusion of religious principle. We must have, he used the phrase religious principle, we must have the Bible and God in our lives in order to have 
morality in education, is what he's saying. Look there at 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse number 1. This know also that in the last days perilous times shall come. For men shall be, here's a description of America today, lovers of their own selves, covetous, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, without natural affection, truce breakers, false accusers, incontinent, fierce, despisers of those that are good, traitors, heady, high-minded, lovers of pleasures more than lovers of God. Look at verse 7. Ever learning and never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. They're getting that number three, that, that knowledge thing. But they're ever learning, never able to come to the knowledge of the truth because they're denying God. Jethro, back in Exodus, told Moses to teach. Pick you out some men that can help you with your responsibilities and your burden. But it mattered what he taught. I think, moreover, since, uh, since the pandemic and we, many schools went to distance learning, and parents maybe that weren't as plugged in before saw on the TV set or looked over the, their child's shoulder and saw on the TV or their computer screen or their iPad and saw what their children were being taught, maybe, maybe for the first time in a very long time. And we've seen an aggressive, liberal, anti-God agenda in, uh, in education for many years, and it's getting worse and worse. But I think people are more open to it now. Frankly, private schools and even Christian schools, enrollment, that's part of the reason for the, the, in, the big enrollment increases, is just people are, are, people's eyes are more wide open now to what's happening in their schools. So that's what we teach. Okay, why do we teach? Why, why do we teach? In the home, Benjamin Rush, another one of our founding fathers, said this, the two most important figures in history, schoolmasters and mothers. What you teach in the home is important. He said this, Benjamin Rush, without religion, education does real mischief. You can learn a whole lot about stuff, but if you don't have God in it, you can get into some real mischief. Fathers, you're not left out. Ephesians 4 says, Fathers, provoke not your children to wrath, but what? Bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. In the church, he gave some apostles and some prophets and some evangelists and some pastors and teachers. Why? Why did he give that gift to the church? Verse number 12 of Ephesians 4 says, For the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. God gave us those people in the church to help mature us, help us to grow in our faith, and help us to share the gospel with others. Uh, we need to share the gospel with others. Um, Proverbs chapter 9, verse 8 says, Reprove not a scorner, lest he hate thee. Rebuke a wise man, and he will love thee. Give instruction to a wise man, and he will be yet wiser. Teach a just man, and he will increase in learning. You know, when you try to teach someone that doesn't want to learn, that's what it's talking about. You teach someone that has the desire to learn, 
the Lord will open up their understanding and give them more wisdom. And verse 10 says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and the knowledge of the whole, or the holy, is understanding. James Madison uh, was the primary author of the First Amendment. First Amendment of the Constitution that gives us the freedom of religion, the freedom of the press, uh, some of those other freedoms, I forget them all, okay. Uh, <laughs> um, but uh, the final wording of the First Amendment came from another founding father called, named Fisher Ames, and he said this, we must never allow the Bible to be pushed to the back of the classroom. Abraham Lincoln, a few years later in the 1860s, said the philosophy of school of one generation will become the philosophy of the government of the next generation. I am scared for our government in the next generation. Think back to Jethro. He told Moses, you got some help. Teach them. What are we doing? Are we teaching the next generation? Are we teaching them? You know, when the children of Israel finally made it into the promised land, they did have some leaders that replaced Moses. And furthermore, what makes a good teacher? I always felt like a good teacher, uh, what makes a good teacher is a, is a good learner to begin with. So how, how are we taught? Psalm 25.1 says, show me thy ways, O Lord, teach me thy paths. That should be all of, our, all of our desire. Lord, you teach me so I can teach others. Verse 5 says, lead me in thy truth and teach me. God, teach me, for thou art the God of my salvation. Psalm 143.10 says, teach me to do thy will, for thou art my God. Lord, teach me. Teach me to do thy will. Let's all teach. That's what we do here at First Baptist Church. That's what we do at Land O'Lakes Christian School. I hope that's what you do in your home and in your family. We teach. Let's pray. Lord, I pray that you would honor the message, but more, more than anything, glorify yourself in our lives as Christians. Lord, I pray that if there are people here today that uh, haven't been faithful in their homes or their families, uh, or even found a, a way to minister and serve others in other ways, I pray, Lord, that you would open up opportunities for them. Help each one of us to um, take opportunities we have, whether we're parents or grandparents, aunts and uncles, uh, whether we have influence at work or uh, in a school. I pray that each one of us could take those opportunities and teach. And with every head bowed and every eye closed here, I'd just like to ask and, and make sure that we don't have anyone here today that's never accepted Jesus as their Savior. If you're here today and maybe you appreciated the message, maybe you've learned something from God's Word, but you don't know you're going to heaven, the Bible says that you can know. The Bible says these things are written that you may know that you have eternal life. You can know for certain that you can have eternal life in heaven with God. But we have to use God's plan. It's not by works of righteousness, which we've done, the Bible says. The Bible says we're all sinners. We're all sinned and come short of the glory of God. Have you ever came, come to the Lord and admitted you're a sinner, called upon Him to forgive you your sins and to save you? The wages of sin is death, the Bible says. Our sins have separated us from, from God in heaven. God is holy and perfect, and no sin can ever enter heaven. Have you ever 
accepted Jesus Christ as payment for your sin. His death on the cross and His resurrection where He proved He was victorious over sin. Every head's bowed, every eye's closed. Is there anyone here today that say, you know, I've never done that, but I'd like to. I'd like to accept Jesus Christ as my personal Savior. Could you just slip up your hand right where you are? No one's looking around. I will not embarrass you. I will not point you out. But I want to pray for you. Is there anyone here today that would say, I don't know Jesus Christ as my Savior. I don't know that I'm going to heaven. But I'd like to know. I'd like more information. Your Heavenly Father, I pray for Christians here today. I pray that you would um, help us all to teach. Help us all by our life example and by the words of our mouth to share the gospel with others, to share the wisdom that you've given us so that we can uh, replenish this, this earth when we're gone, that we can recreate uh, what's needed, Lord, that we can help the, the next generation fulfill the roles of ministry, of teaching, of parents, moms and dads. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Before we close in a song, Brother Terry Templeton's going to come. He has some information from the pulpit committee.